probably the most interesting thing based on the current information that's happening in the world of finance is the topic we're going to discuss right now. Because even people that aren't greedy have to save for retirement. And they have to save for you know unexpected expenses and emergencies and so on. And the question is, where can you find safe places to do that? Uh, frankly, there is no safe place on this earth. It's only relative risk, as you know. But at any rate, we are going to discuss that. And if any of you have questions or comments as we go along, I'll be happy to entertain those. But we always begin with a prayer because we're going to open God's word as we look at this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have again of meeting as a class. We pray that you'll bless us as we discuss these important topics. And may your Holy Spirit guide each of us, not only right now, but in our lives. And may we have your wisdom and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, most people have almost no savings. In the United States, it's not culturally accepted because there are just so many things to buy and so many advertisings and so on. So many of you have probably heard Dave Ramsey on the, on the radio, and his big deal is save at least $1,000. I mean, who couldn't do that, you know, over a period of time? And that, what we would typically say is, you know, three to six months equivalent of your uh, expenses to have in savings so that any little thing that comes along is not going to leave you in a lurch and cause you to use credit. But I'll just point out some of these. By the way, this is my first time to present this, and so I'm going to have to stick to my computer a little more than usual, but I'll make some comments on it. Uh, these, all of these PowerPoints are going to be in the instructor's manual for the material later this month, but we're just kind of refining it a little bit, and then we'll reproduce them. So savings is essential to sound money management. If you fail to save, your budget will fail. And without savings, you are doomed to the use of credit. It's just incredible how many people. And I will just tell you this. Of all the people that file for bankruptcy protection in the United States, 95% of them have credit cards maxed out. It's the, probably the leading cause of bankruptcy in America for personal family bankruptcy. It's just really, really incredible. Uh, I may be told some of you uh, just in a small group, but I'll mention it. A man called me about three months ago, an Adventist man, 63 years old. He had 10 credit cards. All of them were maxed out. $182,500 outstanding balance. And all he's doing is making the interest on them every month. And this is an incredible position to be in, especially so near the end and so near retirement, you understand. But this is the kind of the thing, if you don't have savings, you will have to use credit at some point. So that's why I'm encouraging people to, to save for future needs. So you have to change your attitude to be financially healthy. You need to view savings as essential or just as essential as food, as transportation, as housing, or any other item in your budget. By the way, most of you have access to Ellen White's book, Adventist Home. Section 13 in Adventist Home is about personal finance. And she says in there something very, very amazing. Every time you get any money, save part of it. Isn't that amazing? Just pretend like you didn't get that much. Save part of it. And I'll show you some of the ways to do it. By the way, I, I don't want to go too fast over this because there's a difference between savings and hoarding, as you know. Does anybody know the difference between savings and hoarding? The Bible encourages savings, as I will show you here. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide or overseer or ruler provides her meat in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Now, isn't this incredible? A little ant knows how to save. So uh, if we aren't selfish, we would learn how to do that. Well, this is called delayed gratification, you know, to save a little bit. But the savings is saving for a purpose. For example... Uh, 
what savings is for a specific purpose, such as to buy a new car, to educate our children. And hoarding, on the other hand, is saving for security. Now, if you're saving for security, how much is enough? Yeah, you never have enough. This is really amazing to me. It's just incredible. By the way, I will tell you one thing that's important to know. Last evening, the last session we had, I talked to you about paying off your house and how valuable that was. The Wall Street Journal and Kiplinger's Newsletter, Bottom Line Personal, many of the, the finance calculators, people that, that teach money management, will say that the very best thing you can do to save for your children's education is to pay your house off. This is incredible. Now listen, if you had your house paid off, which you could easily do by the time your kids go to college, you can use the money that you were using to pay your house payments to send your kids through school. And you're always in a debt-free position then, which is really amazing. I mean, people just, and I don't blame you for not knowing if you didn't know, because no one ever tells us. I had a lady come to me at one of my seminars, and I was talking about the, the debt triangle, the snowball thing we mentioned yesterday, paying off your debts, pay the minimum payment on everything, and then pay them off from the bottom up as quickly as you can. She said to me, I'm like your Kathy. I'm the manager at our family. When she waited till the last person to talk to me because she was embarrassed of what she said, she said, I did not know until your seminar today that I could pay more than the minimum payment on my credit card. How could you ever not know that? But she just didn't know. She wasn't stupid. What was she? Ignorant. That's what we talked about yesterday, the very uh, most leading reason that people get in problems. So we're going to talk about when security is the object, then most folks feel they never have enough. By the way, I will just tell you, this Madoff guy who uh, you know, went bankruptcy for his Ponzi scheme just this last week, many of the people that invested with him were multimillionaires, but they didn't think they had enough. Can you imagine that? And they were wanting to get more money. Another crazy thing anybody ought to know, and the Bible is clear on this, and I will show it to you in a minute, the first rule of investing is diversification. You understand? Putting all your money with a madman, you lose the whole thing. Even if he isn't sorry. I mean, you know, you can get mad at him, but you lost your money. So, hoarding transfers our trust away from God to our money, and that's why Jesus said it is difficult for a rich man to enter heaven. He doesn't say it's impossible, but he says it's very hard. And you can understand why this is valuable to know. Okay, Ellen White states, hoarded wealth is not merely useless, it is a curse. In this life, it is a snare to the soul, drawing the affections away from the heavenly treasure. But in the great day of God, its witness to unused talents and neglected opportunities will condemn its possessor. I mentioned to some, a few people before we started today that, and I think I mentioned it yesterday, in uh, Councils on Stewardship, page 60, we're told that as we near the close of time, we should be divesting ourselves of our assets and getting our stuff in a little circle as possible. Guess what the, the reason is? So not much of our stuff gets burned up at the end. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Now, if you're smart, you would be transferring it over there, and we're going to talk about storing up treasures in heaven in the next session. But you'll understand how important that is. How should we get started? I don't think I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, but just think about how many people here have a savings account with something in it, more than the minimum amount, you understand? But you can start with $10 a pay period, any amount you can afford, and don't touch it. Increase the amount as you're able to do that. Believe in what you're doing. If possible, and this is what Kathy and I do, we actually have an amount deducted from our paycheck that goes directly to the credit union. 
because if you see it, you know, you're going to want to spend it. But if it's gone, you don't see it, and it builds up. And then there's a couple times a year when we have to pay taxes or do things like that, and we have the money and savings to do it. That's the important thing. Okay, so I'm going to show you a guaranteed investment. Paying off credit cards and moving toward being debt free. So if you are paying 20% interest on your credit cards, whatever the interest rate is, when you pay them down, you're making that return on your investment guaranteed. There is no better investment of any kind than investing in your own debt. And there's no more secure investment either because you, you're guaranteed the investment return. So how much is enough? Most financial professionals would suggest three to six months expenses. However, if you have a lot of debt and your job is not secure, it's suggested three to six months expenses because it takes longer to find a new job. Three to six to nine months, excuse me. Because uh, it may take longer to find a new job after a layoff has occurred. Uh, by the way, I will tell you, we have a whole section on work and integrity and so on in the book. It is my personal opinion, and I know I mentioned this already, that if you lose your job, don't wait until you can land the prime job that you've ever dreamed of in your life. Take anything that's, that's not sinful. You know, like being a bartender or a belly dancer or whatever. You understand those kind of things. But the whole point is all work is dignified. There's nothing beneath us if we need to work, and that's important. Okay. One interesting thing, and let me go on to this, uh, the fear of not having enough money to last during one's lifetime prevents that person from participating in excellent giving or returning opportunities during that person's lifetime. By the way, I am a big proponent of present giving, not uh, testamentary giving, because if you do your giving while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going. There is absolutely no guarantee, I'm telling you this as an attorney, that even if you have a will, that the money will go where you intended it. I will tell you a reason. Leona Hemsley, the great hotel heiress, died about a year ago, leaving $12 million to her dog in her will. Oh my. Well, you're aware of this, aren't you? I mean, it's happened. Now, the interesting thing was, what kind of a dog needs $12 million? You understand. Just recently, a federal judge ordered the uh, will to be broken, and $10 million went to other charities that she ported, and only $2 million gets to stay for the dog. Now, the real interesting thing is there's some guy who's the caretaker of the dog, and he's really the one that gets the money, you understand. But the bottom line is that will was broken after she died. By the way, kids or heirs who think they should have gotten more money will contest your will in court frequently so they can get more money. Do you understand? Yeah. And what you're, if you give while you've got your senses about you, that's the, really the best time. Okay, but we're going to talk about uh, uh, proper investments. The, Ron Blue, many of you know Ron Blue. He's worked with Larry Burkett and Howard Dayton and many people. He's an evangelical uh, money manager. He says, decide the limits of your lifestyle. Uh, the reason he says it's important to do this because as our incomes and wealth increase, we seem to find endless ways to spend or save or invest that money. And this pushes the finish line further and further away. So in both living and saving, there should be a limit. For example, if you're planning for your retirement, you can do a retirement budget and say, if you're debt free, how much would you actually have to have in retirement to live comfortably? Anybody have an idea? No. 
let's just say $48,000. I'm going to put a big number up there. So that's what, $4,000 a month? Well, Isn't it? Okay, well, let's just say that you get Social Security and you've worked hard in a big time job, and that if you work till your full retirement age, you're going to get about $2,000. It's really going to be $1,867.08 or something. But anyway, what you need is $2,000 more, right? How are you going to get the $2,000 more? Well, from your investments, whatever that might be. But if you, say, sell your house in, uh, I'm just going to pull some numbers out of the air where I know that the houses are expensive, say Loma Linda or Angwin or Washington, D.C., you know, those places where it's very, you know, the, the market's way up there. You could sell your house and use some of the money for your house when you buy a smaller house to live in with lower taxes during retirement. But let's just say that you put 100000 in a charitable gift annuity at your full retirement age. Now, remember, since God is the owner of everything, when we're done with it, what should we do with it? Give it back to him. But you can't give him everything because you need something to live on, right? But if you use a charitable gift annuity for the charity of your choice, whether it's Pacific Union College or Loma Linda or Adventist World Radio or ADRA, whatever it might be, you can then receive back about $500 a month for the rest of your life. And when you die, whatever's left goes to the charity that you choose. So if you have 400000 you could make the $2,000. Does everybody understand what I'm telling you? You have $500 a month for, you can get that for 100000 So if you had 400000 with gift annuities, then you'd be getting 2000 a month from that source. Do you understand? So, why does anybody need millions to retire? Do you understand? I'm, I'm just telling you pretty frankly, you do not need millions. What you need to be is debt-free so you can live cheaper in retirement. You can't make all these great big payments on that kind of thing. That's, I mean, there are people that live next near to Kathy and I a mile away that are making four and $5,000 a month on their houses. That, you know, that you couldn't do that in retirement. That's just not possible. So, you are ready to retire when you are debt-free. That's important. Okay, and it's also important then to think about the amount you need to live on now. The average family will spend everything they make no matter how much it is. Do you believe I'm telling you the truth about that? Yes. Most people will spend everything they make no matter how much it is. So you just decide what's my lifestyle going to be and how much do I want to save. And then beyond that, once you get it, you can start storing up treasures in heaven and everybody here knows how to do that. You help others and you help advance God's cause. Those are important things. Okay. Remember the Lord your God, we're told in Deuteronomy. I like Deuteronomy because it's Moses' last sermons to Israel after 40 years of working with these people. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Stewards must have an investment mentality that is God-focused and heaven-inspired. So do you have the proper focus? That's the thing. And in my opinion, the goal in life is not to become a multimillionaire, but to have your needs met, have sufficient income to live comfortably, and then be a channel of blessing to everybody you meet. I believe that's the important thing. Okay. Oh, I'm going to back up just to show you this. Uh, upon rejecting Christ's offer of eternal life, Jesus saw that the rich and ruler became sorrowful. Why do you think he cried? Do you know that it says, I think I have it over here a little ways farther. I'll tell you what the references are. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story of the rich young ruler. Every one of them said he cried and went away great sorrow because he knew he was trading eternity for his junk that he had on this earth. That's incredible. But, you know, he, he wouldn't let go of it. 
It's just really quite amazing. Jesus says how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, it's, it's real, this is Luke, the 18th chapter, following that story. People who heard Christ's words to the rich young ruler commented, Who then can be saved? Jesus was simply saying that it's hard but not impossible for rich men to enter heaven. And I, I think I'm going to, uh, I read to you yesterday, Proverbs, the 30th chapter, verses 8 and 9, where, where King Solomon says, give me neither poverty nor riches, you remember, uh, because if I'm rich, then I'll be self-sufficient and turn away from God. And if I'm poor, then I'll be you know, covetous of other people and so on. So essentially have your needs met. The story of the rich young ruler is recorded in Matthew 19 and Mark 10 and Luke 18. All three of the writers say that if the young man had helped the poor, he would have stored up treasures in heaven. By the way, what about the treasures in heaven? Matthew 6 verse 20 says they are secure there. We're going to talk about it in the next session. I am sure that you have never heard anything like what I'm going to tell you in the next session. It almost seems sinful what I'm going to tell you that God wants us to have treasures in heaven and have an account there that's earning interest. That's to me very interesting stuff. So volume three of the testimonies were told every opportunity to help a brother in need or to aid the cause of God and the spread of the truth is a pearl that you can send beforehand and deposit in the bank of heaven for safekeeping. Oh, who's it being kept for? Does Jesus need the money? God doesn't need the money. That's your account. Very interesting. Those who really feel an interest in the cause of God and are willing to venture something for its advancement will find it a sure and safe investment. Some will have a hundredfold in this life and in the world uh, to come everlasting life. Now the interesting thing is this. This is really amazing. Not all will receive their hundredfold in this life because they cannot bear it. If you got it, it might spoil you. Do you understand? So you, you thank God that he's given you what he has. If entrusted with much, they would become unwise stewards. The Lord withholds it for their good because their treasure in heaven will be secure. Or but their treasure in heaven will be secure. How much better is such an investment as this? Now regarding heavenly investments, Paul said to Timothy, Command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty or to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives richly all things to enjoy. You can see the references there, and by the way, they're all in the book. I just want you to see this biblical focus, and then we're going to look at investment vehicles. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready, this is continuing Paul's counsel to Timothy, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So here are some investment choices. You really only have three choices if you're going to save money. And one of them is saving it up in heaven. And that's the first one, but then I'll show you the, the earthly ones. This one is, we do this by helping others, making contributions to advance the cause of God. Now, here's the stuff you can do here. Earthly investments of which you become an owner. We call these equities. And that would be stocks, mutual funds, real estate, precious metals, farmland, those kinds of things where you become an owner or a part owner of it. Now, the interesting thing is that if you own a stock in a company, it's only as valuable as the company is viable. Do you understand? Now let me tell you something that's not very easy. I mean, right now it's real easy to see, but it's not very fun to talk about. If you own stock, you could lose every bit of it with no, in, no uh, insurance at all. Is it true? Yes, 
Now the interesting thing is that's why you don't try to make killings on things that are supposedly doing awesome because the higher interest, the higher risk that you're taking. Very, very important that you understand that. By the way, I'm going to point out one thing here, and that is this idea of mutual funds. Uh, mutual funds seem to be a real good investment for a period of time because it had two good qualities. Anybody know what mutual funds' two good qualities are? Diversification and professional management. Those are the two things. I mean, I have a clue what's going on, but this guy ought to know that's what he does for a living, right? The problem was, for a number of years, mutual fund managers were churning people. They were buying and selling their stuff and charging them every time they did it. You understand? And some people have mutual funds for many years and didn't even have anything to show for it. So you have to be very, very careful that you choose the proper manager or even the kind of funds. This is really crazy now, but in the past we used to say an index mutual fund that would track the stock market would be a good idea until, you know, what just recently happened, will we lose about 40% of the stock market? This is amazing stuff. Uh, and people always say, well, you know, you're in this for the long term, so just be patient. If your company goes out of business, you can be as patient as you want to, but you just lost the money. That's why you have to diversify. So theoretically, not everything you're invested in will go under at one time. Okay, now remember this one. This one is when you become an owner. And the next one is when you become a lender. And these are things like savings accounts at banks and credit unions and certificates of deposit. Now I'm going to stop with those right here. These are traditionally the things that have the lowest return as far as the percent. Isn't it true? true? Now listen carefully, however. They are the only ones that are insured by the government. Of course the government is $11 trillion in debt, as you understand. <laughs> but the funny part about it is, it is the only one of the entities up there that has the unique ability to print money. So as long as you're FDIC insured, uh, it was typically for years, $100,000 per account. And you know, a husband and wife could have really 300,000 in the bank, couldn't they? Because each could have one and one could have a joint account, so you could have 300,000 there. But just recently, they've, because of the economic bailout or whatever you may call it, stimulus package and so on, now for, until January 1 of the next year, it can be 250,000. And that's FDIC insured, the insurance companies. Now, we're in a very unusual time. I'm only explaining this to you, and I'm not recommending anything. However, I will tell you that as you grow older, conventional wisdom is that you move from equities more to the lending position. Do you understand? So that you have, in good institutions, have money that you can count on to come back. A man and his wife in their 80s called me. It's been a month or so ago. The lady called and she said, uh, you know, she said, Elder Reed, is that you? And I said, yes. She said, would you mind holding just a minute? And she said, Harry, get on the phone. It's Elder Reed. So they're both on the phone, different lines, and they, they're going to explain to me their unique situation. They were living in Washington State, and they had $100,000 in Washington Mutual. And they had this hunch the whole thing was going to implode. As you know, Washington Mutual was the largest bank in America ever to fail. Now, the interesting thing about it, this is really incredible. She said, I think I should go today and draw all our money out and put it under the mattress. What would you tell her? Well, the real deal is this. If you have money in 
invested in the bank, like you have bank stock, you should really be worried. You understand? But if it's deposited in the bank in an FDIC, FDIC account, it's still safe. Most of the time, three business days later, the money's available to you. Some other company, you know, buys the assets and, the, and somebody, you know, does the liability business and so on. So I'm going to tell you, even though the whole government and the whole world, it seems, is in confusion, still, I would say the FDIC things are the best investments. You, by the way, do you know that just about a week ago, the government offered some treasury bills at zero percent and they were all sold out? Why do you think that happened? Preserve to preserve the principle. You don't want to lose any of that stuff. Now, this is important that I'm telling you. So I'm, uh, what I'm going to say to you is this kind of a confusing mess out there, but I would choose being conservative over trying to make a killing. Do you understand? That's the point. Okay, so here's some other things that are very interesting. Typically, corporate bonds or government bonds. Now, the government bonds may have insurance, and you can check on that, but state and local bonds. For example, if you have California bonds, what's the state of California in right now? We're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger going on national television pleading with the government to bail out California. You understand? If they went under... By the way, the whole, I have a speaking invitation to go to Iceland. And you know that when the, when the stock market crashed, Iceland, the whole country went bankrupt. The whole country. This is incredible. So you just think about it. If you had any investments over there, goodbye. And let me just tell you something interesting. If you're saving $10 a week or a little bit and you have a savings account that you've been saving on for $25,000, you know, until you have $25,000, and then you lose the whole thing, that can be kind of depressing. Do <laughs> you understand? It really can be really, really serious. So what you're wanting to say is get out of debt, pay your debts off, no better investment. Even if your house devalues to the point of $1, you have a place to live. Do you understand? That's important. Okay. So these are the kind of things. What are the three? Storing up treasures in heaven, and you do that by helping others and helping advance the cause of God. Or you have equities or ownership positions, or you have lending positions. So you're not giving the bank $100,000 if you put money in the bank. You're just lending it to them, and you're expecting interest and your principal to be preserved for you. That's the whole point of it. Okay. Here's the important thing. The greater return being offered on an investment, the greater the risk the investor is taking. Whether you believe it or not, whether they tell you or not, it is always true. This is very important. So some people now who know that are willing to go for 0%, do you understand? Just to protect the money. Now, a lot of you are very young people, so it's not going to be as crucial for you. But when you get my age, you're not going to live long enough to earn it back again. If you lose it, it's gone. So you have to be very, very uh, prudent in how you do that. So here's four levels of vesting. Uh, Larry Briquette used to recommend this uh, Austin Pryor, who's a Christian. He actually wrote the foreword for the book here called Sound Mind, Mind Investing by Austin Pryor. And I'm going to show you, he is a Christian author and investment counselor, and he gives four levels of financial fitness in his book Sound Mind Investing. These uh, levels suggest a progression of investing, and I'm going to show you what they are here. By the way, all this is in the book, but if you're not planning to get a book, you may want to jot it down. Here they are. Level one, believe it or not, is what I teach, have been teaching for many years, become debt-free, including your home. The only proper foundation for investing is to be debt-free. Now, I'm going to stop here to tell you this. If your employer 
gives you matching money in your 401k or your 403b or whatever it is, your tax-deferred instrument, you always want to work to contribute so you get the maximum match. Do you understand? I mean, no money, nobody's smart enough to uh, throw out three money. You understand. If you're getting free money, do all you can to get that because that's incredible what bosses will do or companies will do. Are any of you golfers here? Uh, I just would tell you that uh, uh, it was a story, Davis Love III was, is a professional golfer and he was playing in a tournament one time and on the uh, par three, uh, obviously on the tee box, you can tee up your ball. And so he said, he was playing with Ben Hogan and Davis just threw his ball down on the ground and was going to use an iron to chip it off the ground and up to the you know, par three green. And Ben looked at him and he said, where's your tee? He says, oh, I don't need a tee. He says, nobody is a good enough golfer not to need a tee if they'll let him use it. So you always can use it there, you understand? The whole point I'm trying to make is you have to understand nobody is smarter than getting out of debt. You have to do that. That's the point. Okay. And, of course, uh, I, I would, he would also say use credit cards properly. That means by paying them off every month and pay off your house. Remember that the people that tell you don't pay off your house, you need the interest deduction. If that's your CPA, what time is it? Time to get a new CPA. Everybody needs to know by now that it is not a bargain to spend a dollar to save a quarter. Now another thing is, I heard Dave Ramsey say this the other day, he says people are just now waking up to the fact that you don't become a millionaire by getting points on your credit card. You understand? Okay. So. Pryor also states, keep this truth in mind, no investment is as secure as a repaid debt. Putting your desire to invest ahead of repaying your debt obligations is usually a sign of immaturity, not financial sophistication. So this is, you know, this, we're kind of harping on this one thing. This is the first point here. Okay, level two, saving for future needs. Develop an emergency savings fund. How much should you have in the emergency saving fund? Well, you're talking in current economy, six to nine months, not of your income, but of your monthly expenses, do you understand? And that should be in something that's a liquid asset. You wouldn't want to invest that in real estate, for example, would you? You'd want that in a CD or in your credit union or something. Uh, develop an accumulation fund for expected future purchases and expenditures such as taxes or paying cash for your next car. By the way, I'm just gonna tell you something interesting. If you finance your car, it really doesn't matter a lot to you how much it costs because you're going to make, you know, $300 a month for six years or whatever it is. But if you pay cash for it, it makes a big difference. You know, if I have $27,000 and I'm looking at a new Toyota Avalon, I have to say, do I really want to spend all of this on a car? Do you see what I'm saying? It makes you really act differently when you pay cash for things. By the way, of those of us who pay our credit cards off every month, studies show that you will spend more if you use a credit card, even if you pay it off every month. Isn't that amazing? So there's a lot of electronic stuff going on now, but just think about that because it's easy to do. So uh, we'll go on here. The level three of investing is investing your surplus. Learn about the various types of investments. Do you hear the word surplus? Now, I told you everybody spends what they make. The Bible actually indicates that if you're following God's plan, you will have a surplus. Doesn't it? 
Malachi, the third chapter, verse 10 says, Bring all the tithe to the storehouse and prove me now in this, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such blessings that you don't have room enough to receive it. If you don't have room enough, what do you have? A surplus, more than you need. And I always like the next verse, so I'm just going to say it. God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. I love that. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake, he says. Well, we'll go on here. Uh, spend time learning about mutual funds or other investment things. Understand the value of tax deferment and tax consequence of financial decisions that you make. Okay, let me give you an example of this. If you're an older person, my age or older, and you're thinking about giving your property to your children, if you were to give them, let's just say, uh, something valued at 100000 they actually end up with your basis if you give it to them as a gift. Do you understand? Let's just say that I have a $100,000 piece of property and I only paid 10000 for it. So if I were to sell it now, I'd have $90,000 worth of capital gains that is subject to capital gains. Do you understand? But if I were to leave it to my son in a will and it passes by virtue of inheritance, then he gets the basis as the current value when it transfers. So it's, he, it's like he paid 100000 for it. So he could sell it the next day for that amount and not pay any capital gains. Now, this is important stuff that you can load. We have it in the book. You'll be able to see it. By the way, there's all kinds of stuff in the book. I don't even have time to talk to you about this, but we skipped the whole chapter on retirement because I didn't think most of you were thinking about that. But I will just tell you that there's a lot of push for reverse mortgages and long-term care insurance, all that stuff. We discussed it in the book. You'll be able to see why people push these and that, what their, their lack of value to you. Uh, so level four is diversification for safety. What do we mean diversification? <coughs> yeah, not all in the same basket. Now you understand uh, uh, Enron is old history by now. But when Enron went under, there was a man, it was, he was in Time Magazine, featured in Time Magazine. He lived in Washington State. He was about a year and a half from retirement, and he had actually worked for Enron, but he had other uh, assets that he had invested and so on. But he was doing so well with Enron, he had taken all of his stuff out of the others, put it all in Enron. He figured that he was worth $10 million. And so he had hired an architect, and he had started building on his retirement house, and he bought himself a new Chevy Suburban, you know, and he's just really thinking about all this was going to happen. When Enron imploded, and his, in, his uh, Enron stock was selling on the Internet for 13 cents a share, he lost everything. His $13, 13 cent a share was total about $9,000 value. Now, this is incredible. People just never learn that diversification is very important. Don't have all your eggs in one basket. That's the important thing. So you understand, know what you want to accomplish with your investment portfolio. Like set a goal. By the time I retire, I want to have a certain amount to supplement my Social Security. By the way, are you likely or aware that some 50% of Americans who are now retired live solely on Social Security? And almost all of the people who retire in the future are really not prepared financially for it. And the ones that are on Social Security are under the poverty level in every county where they live. This is incredible when you think about it. So you have to have some other source. And of course, being debt-free is important.
Uh, determine how much is enough. And this is really, really valuable. Because if you don't have a set level, how much will you save? You just keep going. That's the hoarding part, you understand. And then, of course, spread out the risk. We've already talked about that one. Okay, the Bible encourages diversification. Now, when you read through this, it's really amazing. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Isn't that incredible? It says when you cast it out, put it seven or eight different places. Very amazing. That's Ecclesiastes. Now, yesterday I talked about the get-rich-quick schemes. I'm just going to mention it briefly, and then we'll go on to another topic. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. The get-rich-quick schemes. This is very interesting stuff. When your safe investments are earning less than 5%, hello to today, you understand, and someone comes along promising you 25%, it's tempting to indulge. It is also very devastating when you lose a large sum with such investors. That's the Madoff case. I mean, that's what's happening right now to many, many people. And the, the crazy thing about it, if you've been listening to the news last night and this morning, there were people who should have known better with money with this guy. We're talking about university trust funds and charity reserves and so on. I mean, this is incredible, the people that lost money with this guy because they thought they could get more than market value. And that's just, it's just based on greed, as you know. So I, I don't usually have country music in my stuff here, but my secretary found this, and she put it in here. Timely advice from, from Kenny Rogers' classic song, The Gambler. You've got to know when to walk away and know when to run. And that's when you see these get-rich-quick scheme guys. Remember what they are? I told you yesterday, so I'm just going to show you again real quickly. Most of the get-rich-quick schemes have four elements to them. First one, promise of wealth, quickly, high interest rate returns. Those are the, one of them. A second one, the investment is something you don't really understand. This is amazing. I'm going to tell you about this one. Believe it or not, I actually am uh, quite a good auto mechanic. And I've, I have a hobby I did when I was in law school of buying old Ford tractors and taking them apart and rebuilding them just as a hobby, and I would sell them for a profit, typically. At any rate, so I'm interested in, in uh, automobiles. So I, I one time in the city where I was living in Georgia, I saw that there was going to be a, uh, uh, a guy demonstrating his invention at the Holiday Inn uh, banquet room. And I went to it. And this guy had a little device that he was producing, and I even still remember the name, called Thurvac. And it was in the days back when cars had carburetors instead of the fuel injection that we have now. But anyway, in the intake manifold where your carburetor sits, theoretically, you could lift up the carburetor and put this little device, this real thin thing in there, and it would double or triple your gas mileage. Now, believe me, who would not want that, even back then when gas was only like a dollar a gallon, you understand? So the deal was that if you invested in the company, you would be guaranteed that you would have uh, protected rights in certain counties. Like if you're in Loma Linda, you get San Bernardino County, which is, I think, the largest county land-wise in the whole United States. You, you, get the, you get protected territory, and you're going to get to be the distributor there. So after I heard this, I went home and I told Kathy, I said, man, we've got this awesome opportunity. And she said, well, what is it? And well, I tried to describe it. And she said, well, does any, are any of them working presently? And I said, no, but he's, it's a prototype, and you know, he's going to have some out there. And uh, she says, well, I just don't feel comfortable about this. You know what I told you guys yesterday that you were here? If you're married, 
God gave you your spouse to keep you from doing stupid stuff. <laughs> Do you understand? Because it would have cost me about $10,000 to get into this mess. At any rate, it turns out I didn't get involved, thank the Lord for Kathy. But I will just tell you, because, you know, as a mechanic, I would have been able to really make a killing on this. But at any rate, uh, they were never developed. That's very interesting, isn't it? Then another one, you have to risk money that you can't afford to lose. I told you about the, the retired man who was going to refinance his house to get money to get into a get-rich-quick scheme. Those are things, like you get a second mortgage or get a line of credit on your house. And then here's the one that's really interesting to me. You have to make a quick decision. So the guy says, you want these two counties? I'm going to give you till tomorrow morning to have your money here. It almost always has that. You want to get it on the ground floor? Give you till Monday. That's, you understand you always have to do something quickly. And you, should, you, you don't even have time, hardly, to ask your financial counselor or any of your friends about it. Very interesting. Okay. Now, is investing gambling? What do you think? <laughs> Sometimes it can be. It almost seems like it. But there is a difference. Gambling, lotteries, track betting, or other games of, here's the word right here, chance, are not part of the Christian's life. No room for those things. Uh, Lori found a couple of uh, lottery tickets, pictures on the internet, so she stuck them in here. And I had told her, there's only one worse investment than buying a lottery ticket, and that's buying two of them. <laughs> By the way, if you buy a lottery ticket, if you're looking on the internet or anywhere, your chances of winning are one in 29 million. That means for every person that wins something, 20, what is it, 28,999 people just lost their money. In addition, almost all lotteries are won by poor people hoping to get rich. Do you understand? But the other poor people that bought the tickets lost their money. It's very, very interesting. Uh, in the Washington Post, I live in the Washington, D.C. area, just a couple years ago in the, in the magazine section there was the story of Jack Whitaker, who about eight years ago won the Powerball sweepstakes. After the taxes were withheld, he got $150 million after taxes. It's one of the largest payouts in Powerball history in America. He was a guy living in West Virginia. It absolutely ruined his life. His little granddaughter that he used to bounce on his knee that was the pride and joy of his life, when he won, when he won that, she was like 16 and in a college, uh, I mean high school, you know, freshman or sophomore or something. Anyway, he bought her a Cadillac Escalade, which is like a uh, Suburban or Tahoe, you know, with a Cadillac version of it. Well, usually there are these real pretty pearl colored and so on. Anyway, she's the only girl in high school with one of these. So immediately she has lots of friends, you understand, because who doesn't want to go to the drive-in in her car? At any rate, to make a long story short, she fell into a drug crowd, overdosed on drugs and killed herself, and so did her boyfriend the same night. Jack Whitaker left his wife and became a gambler and within two years lost everything. Absolutely incredible. The people in the state and in the city where he lived said, we all wish he had never won the money. I would like to ask you to show me a person who's won gambling money that their life was bettered by it. It rarely happens. So I'm just going to tell you to think about that. Okay. Here's the lottery facts. By the way, the Adventist Church does not get involved much in politics, but uh, Roy Adams, who's one of the editors of the Adventist Review, wrote an editorial recently in the Review, 
and he was talking about in Maryland we just had the uh, proposal to uh, have uh, what is it off-track betting of slot machines in Maryland and uh, you know I personally voted against it but it won so they they have it now the idea is that it's going to go to education you understand but listen, if you're the man who does the budget for the education in Maryland, you're going to set aside, let's just say a big number, $250 million. Well, if that's all coming in from gambling, then you can use that money for something else in the budget. Do you understand? Rarely does any education system get better because of gambling. But more uh, underworld people, crime figures, and thugs come into your state. And by the way, guess who gets the largest portion of the gambling earnings? It is not the state. It's not the education. It is the guys who are promoting it. Do you understand? This is always the case. Very, and let me just tell you something else, since we're in the West here. Many of the Indian reservations that have casino gambling, it rarely gets down to the Native Americans. The people who are skimming it off the top are the guys who promote it and build the buildings and all that stuff. Is it true? You understand. There's some benefit, but you know, at what cost? That's the point. The lottery preys on poor people, giving them a false hope of winning. Now, as an attorney, I can tell you that nobody can, can declare that you're incompetent except in a court of law. Because sometimes your family members may say, well, you've lost your mind. I'm going to declare you incompetent so you can't handle your money anymore. So, so people can't do that. It has to be done in a court of law. The only incompetency hearing that I've ever been to where I was the attorney representing the family to declare somebody incompetent was when a man had gotten so fixated on winning the lottery and the, the uh, publishers clearing out sweepstakes, he, he bought every magazine that was available there. And his wife, you know, this took every money they had, but I'm going to win this lottery, he thought. You know, that was the last thing he did. He was just fixated on that. Very incredible. So you have to, this is this false hope of winning. Most who win are generally uneducated, working minimum wage jobs. Most who win the lottery lose the money in a short period of time to poor financial management, and they are often unhappy and their lives are ruined. So just the proper uses of money is much better. So here's the difference between gambling and investing. Gambling is taking a chance or betting on an uncertain outcome. Investing, on the other hand, is buying stock in a good company or you become an owner. On the other hand, it is committing uh, money to earn a financial return. It is uh, an expenditure for future benefits or advantages. So there is a difference. But it, by the way, if you're in, in uh, speculative things like futures, for example, I mean, that is highly speculative and it would almost verge on gambling in my opinion. So here's some investment strategies, 12 of them. And I hope that they can uh, be valuable to you. Remember, this is from a Christian perspective. Accept Christ as both your Savior and Lord. What I'm telling you this for is you have to understand whose money you're dealing with. This is important to understand in your investment strategies. Pray for divine wisdom and help from the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me just show you most, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Proverbs, the third chapter. And that would be very appropriate right here. Proverbs chapter 3, where in, in, this, in the words of the wise man, he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't depend on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Would that include the management of our money? Sure. And then it says something interesting. 
if you do that, he will direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So that's what I'm telling you here. It is not inappropriate to pray about your finances. Because God's providential leading can, can direct us in there. And then study the Bible for principles of money management. Did you know that the Bible says that you should not pray for, you know, don't give me wealth or, or poverty? You know, those kind of things are diverse into eight ways. I mean, there's all kinds of things in the Bible about that. Another one, work with integrity and excellence. This is very, very valuable. I'm going to tell you also, if whatever you're doing now is not bringing in sufficient income, it might be a valuable time to retrain yourself to do something that you can make more at. Now, this is interesting because nobody is too old to go and get more education. I mean, I went to law school when I was 40 years old. And I will just tell you, you don't make more money in the Adventist Church because you get more education, you understand. But I didn't do it for that. But it's been a real value to me to have the information and to be able to share things with people. So I will just tell you, you, you can always learn more. And you can, you know, get, if you're in computers, you can get certification grade levels, you know, that go up and up and up. And, and people are making very good livings doing that. So develop a, health, a heavenly mentality. By the way, if your treasure is stored up in heaven, every day of your life you're moving closer to your treasure. If it's stored up on earth, every day of your life you're going to move even farther away from it. It's really amazing. And then I put give tithes and offerings. Really that one should be number one, put God first in everything. This is valuable. Now remember, I gave you a whole session on this yesterday, and I make no apology for it. I believe from a Christian perspective, the very best thing you can do to get your finances on an even keel is to put God first. This is really amazing stuff to me. It doesn't make sense from a CPA's perspective, but you know anybody who's ever done it, I'll give you an illustration of this. We decided several years ago to try to collect testimonies from people who had been faithful with God in their tithes and offerings. And we wrote out letters, and we had 150 people respond. One of them was, was my own testimony. But at any rate, we had 150 people, and we printed a book called Over and Over Again. Some of you have seen those books. Anyway, volume one of Over and Over Again, we, we sent out to the conferences, and they bought some. And they, Anyway, since we pre-sold 92,000 of them before they were printed, we were able to print them for $2 a book. And that's what they were sold for. But it's like a $12 size book. At any rate, the reason I'm telling you the story is once that book got out there, people started spontaneously selling, sending us more stories. And we printed another book, volume two, of over and over again from unsolicited stories. People would say, if you think your story is great, you should hear what God did for our family. You know, this was just amazing stuff. And so we get more things that way. And by the way, we're just about ready to print volume three. Uh, the, the stories just keep coming in. So it's really amazing. Another one is include savings as a regular part of your spending plan. In other words, when you have your budget, make sure that you put aside money for savings. By the way, it's interesting, uh, when you read the Spirit of Prophecy, Ellen White says that when you put money into savings, it should only come out for two reasons, one of two reasons. Do you know what they are? For when you're suffering an actual emergency or to make a contribution to advance the cause of God. Very interesting. You have some savings, you know, you're ready to do something. Another one is to become completely debt-free. Uh, sometimes people say, you only have one string on your guitar, and you keep playing that one string. It doesn't even make harmony. And all it is is get out of debt, get out of debt, get out of debt. But at the breakfast table where I was eating this morning, we were talking about, you know, current situation. I actually believe, I haven't talked about this in public before, but I will just tell you guys, since you're not public. <laughs> oh, this is being recorded, but anyway. <laughs> people ask me, what's going on out there? 
I actually think that we're seeing a historical event kind of repeated. If you read in the book Great Controversy by Ellen White, about pages 30 to 36, it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And in Matthew 24, Jesus told the disciples, when you see the armies surrounding the city, time to get out. Time to get out. So the Christian people, when the Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem, left the city when the armies, for some unknown reason, left. You ought to read about it. When Titus came back and surrounded the city, they would not surrender, and he killed everyone inside. Millions of people lost their lives, but no Christians. Now, this is amazing. So what I'm telling you is we're having a little wake-up call right here. I think that God is allowing us to see that things are not going to last forever and ever. So it might be time to get our house in order. Do you understand? Do what you can to do that. That's what I would think. Okay. And then uh, learn what you can about money management. We've mentioned that before. And I think the book that we have will be a big help to many of you. Prepare and follow an investment strategy. We'd be very conservative under these circumstances. And develop a retirement plan. Now, I'm going to tell you something interesting. This is important. I believe what I'm telling you. I believe as much as anybody in here that we are likely the generation that will see the literal second coming of Christ. I mean, I've written five books on eschatology. So, I mean, I've studied this stuff. I understand it. And I know where we are in the timeline of Earth's history. And I know what to see when I see signs out there. But I will just tell you, Jesus said, occupy till I come. Do you understand? When it's time to sell your house, God will tell you if you've put it on the altar. The interesting thing is we're told Ellen White could give stewardship sermons like nobody else. At camp meeting, when she'd give a stewardship sermon, people would flock to the front and say, can I sell my property and give the money to the cause? I mean, they were going to sell the house they lived in. You understand? You know what her response was always? If you have houses and lands in the plural, you know, more properties, sell what you don't need to live in and put the money in the cause, but do not sell your residence until God tells you it's time. Isn't that interesting? God can bring a buyer even in difficult times, I believe. Okay. Uh, another one is uh, prepare your estate uh, distribution documents. It's kind of really interesting that you work your whole life getting, you know, your kids educated and your school loans paid off and your house paid off and all of that. And just the time you get to retirement, they start telling you, you have to start giving it away. Isn't that incredible? Nobody's going to take it with them, are they? Remember, I've already told you this. Even if you don't believe in God, you're not going to take it with you. You're going to give it to a pet cemetery or something goofy. You understand? You're not going to take it with you. It's important. Okay. Now we're going to go along here. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Now, what about what the future holds? I'm going to show you a couple of points here. There is a time coming. The Bible says in Revelation 13, 17, when no man can buy or sell. Now, I don't know if you understand what this means, but I'll just tell you, I've done a lot of real estate transactions, and I can just say that if you think your house is worth $500,000, and it's on the market for six months and it doesn't sell, what's the problem? It's priced higher than the current market. It might be valuable to you at that level, you understand, but it's higher than the current market. So typically you could come down $25,000 or $50,000 or whatever and likely sell your house, right? What if you could not buy or sell? Bring it down to a dollar and no one could buy your house. Do you understand? There's a time coming. But this national ruin comes after you understand national apostasy. And that's going to be interesting to see when it happens. So 
I was just recently, about uh, three weeks ago, speaking at the Village Church at Berrien Springs, one of the large churches at Andrews University area. And the last time I had been there, I was teaching at the seminary for a week summer intensive this summer. And that week that we were there in the summer, the uh, Herald's Quartet, the King's Herald's, were at the Village Church Sabbath afternoon, so we went to hear them sing. And, of course, they have some new songs and everything, but they like to sing old songs. People really love those. And one of the songs they sang is, If You Ever Needed the Lord Before, You Sure Do Need Him Now. This is not a time to bail on God. You understand? He is the creator and the sustainer of all of us. You want to be on your own? It's like jumping over the ship. That's the point. Okay. The time is coming and we cannot sell at any price. The decree will soon go forth prohibiting men from to buy or sell of any man save him that hath the mark of the beast. And that's testimonies. Now here's one, a lot of, several of you have mentioned this to me already. It's evangelism, page 63. The very means that is now so sparingly invested in the cause of God and that is selfishly retained will in a little while be cast with all idols to the moles and to the bats. Money will soon depreciate in value very suddenly when the reality of eternal scenes opens to the senses of man. Now, this is not what's happening right now. Do you understand that? This is important to understand. When money depreciates very suddenly in value, it's when the reality of eternal scenes opens to the senses of man. The problems we have now are based on greed. Do you understand? But when things get really bad with natural calamities and all those kinds of things, you understand then people will say money's not going to be much more valuable to us at all. That's what it's talking about here, I think. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25. By the way, what are the talents? Anybody know? Ellen White says the temporal assets that God gives to us, money. It's not your ability to speak or teach or sing a song. Do you see what I'm saying? It is talents. Those are the monies. Shows us that we are each entrusted by God with different financial assets, gifts, and opportunities, and we will be held accountable to Him for how we invested them in this life. So I'm going to show you, I'm going to go just really, well, uh-oh, is time up? No, it's, it's up, isn't it? No. Yeah, it's up. Yeah, it's up. 9.30 yeah. oh, to 10.30. Yeah. There's somebody else going to have a seminar in here in 15 minutes, and that's me. And so we're going to have a 15-minute break between now and then. So I, I didn't get as far as I wanted to go here, but I will just tell you that uh, it's in the book. If you get the book, you'll have it. And uh, sorry for going a little bit slow here. We're going to have a prayer as we dismiss, and then uh, if you come back, if anybody, if this is your fourth session, you can see Kathy back halfway back in the, in the red skirt. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the privilege we have of being together again as a group here at GYC. I pray that you bless the presentations to your glory and may our hearts and minds be open to a better understanding and practice of the biblical principles of money management. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.